Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Understanding our democracy, one podcast at a time. This is the show about politics. Here's your host, Nate. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the show about politics. This is the first part of a two-part episode where we relive a moment in American history that happened over 50 years ago. And we'll do it from the same spot that it all went down. What happened on that fateful day? Well, let's meet our guest and find out. My name is Lindsay Richardson. I'm the Curator of Collections here at the Sixth Floor Museum at Dealey Plaza. I've worked here almost 11 years now. And this is the beginning of the core exhibit at the Sixth Floor Museum. Um, We start by talking about the 1960s, and we start with Kennedy's presidential campaign. Senator John Kennedy of Massachusetts, Democrat, throws his hat in the presidential ring at a Washington press conference. I am today announcing my candidacy for the presidency of the United States. Kennedy's campaign didn't follow what we would today think of as sort of a normal presidential campaign. In 1960, that was the first real presidential campaign that happened on television. Oh, yeah. You because, remember that? like, I see that um, this is the first televised debate right here in this photo. That's right. It shows Kennedy standing at the podium and he has on a dark suit. That played really well on a black and white television because he was in contrast with the background. He had been relaxing and getting coaching from speech coaches and from his actor brother-in-law and Mm -hmm. he had on a little makeup so he was ready to go full glam for his debate. Now Richard Nixon had been sick He had been injured, he'd had a knee injury that went to an infection, and he had been bedridden for a while, he'd been on the road, he had made a promise to visit all 50 states. This was also the first presidential election that had all 50 states, because Alaska and Hawaii had only just joined the Union. So he was exhausted, and he was wearing a gray suit that matched the background of the television studio, and he was kind of sweaty. And unfortunately for Richard Nixon, he had a very visible beard. Even if he had just shaved, he was very, he had very dark Uh, hair under the skin. Yeah. Now I have to imagine Richard Nixon with a beard. Okay. It's it's an image. Um, But basically, Kennedy... Many people thought that he won the debate less because of the intellectual merits of his argument and more because he was just so glamorous and good-looking on camera, and he was so smooth. Kennedy's campaign against Nixon was a very close one. When the polls closed, there was no clear victor. From Election Central in New York, NBC News reports election night 1960. We're trying to settle here so far without any success or without enough success. The closest, one of the closest elections in the history of the United States. People sometimes forget that the outcome was very, very close. One of the closest in American history. I think the popular vote, the gap was something around 100,000. It was very, very close. So he was elected, but it was a squeaker. At 7.19 a.m. Eastern Time, 
Senator Kennedy was elected President of the United States. So now that we've gotten like pictures of Richard Nixon with a beard out of the way, uh, what was he doing after he won the election and was in the White House? That is a good question. So at home, America was facing a lot of turmoil because civil rights as a movement was beginning to pick up speed. The first sit-in was in 1962, and you can see the students there on that newspaper. That became more common from that point onward through the rest of Kennedy's presidency. But it was also beginning to be a much bigger movement than it had been before. And you can see that overhead picture of what's happening in Washington, D.C. during Martin Luther King's March on Washington, when hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million people, were there protesting for civil rights, for equality for all Americans. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. President Kennedy was actually rather slow to embrace the idea of civil rights, in part because politically it was really hard to make that stand. He could have cost himself the presidency if he had come out too strongly one way or the other during the campaign. Um, As a president, he was warming up more and more slowly, but in June of 1963, he made a televised address on behalf of civil rights. We are confronted primarily with a moral issue. It is as old as the scriptures and is as clear as the American Constitution. The heart of the question is whether all Americans are to be afforded equal rights and equal opportunities, whether we are going to treat our fellow Americans as we want to be treated. If an American, because his skin is dark, cannot eat lunch in a restaurant open to the public, if he cannot send his children to the best public school available, if he cannot vote for the public officials who represent him, if in short he cannot enjoy the full and free life which all of us want, then who among us would be content to have the color of his skin changed? and stand in his place. This televised address kind of made him a bit of a, I don't know, sort of a marquee figure in the civil rights movement, especially because shortly after that he was assassinated. And so it's very interesting because a lot of people in the movement would use John F. Kennedy as a martyr for the cause a cause which he had only very lately embraced. But it was Lyndon Johnson using the momentum of grief and commemoration for Kennedy who actually passed the Civil Rights Acts of 64 and 65. So it was Johnson who got the legislation in place, but it was Kennedy who got a lot of the glory and the the credit. There were other challenges besides civil rights. There was the failed Bay of Pigs invasion, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the threat of communism. But there were also some successes. He created the Peace Corps and committed the U.S. to putting a man on the moon. Which brings us to the fall of 1963. 
In the fall of 1963, John F. Kennedy was looking at a re-election campaign. He was facing a difficult time in 1964 in order to win a second term. Remember how close the election was in 1960? Well, his presidency had maybe won some fans, but he'd also lost some in the South. Now, his vice president was Lyndon B. Johnson, who had been a senator from Texas for decades and was known as the master of the Senate. There were two other Democrats in Texas, Ralph Yarbrough and Governor John Connolly. Now, each of these men was very different, and each of the men had followers who did not agree with each other. So Kennedy was looking at a giant state with a lot of electoral college votes that was breaking up into fractured pieces instead of staying cohesive. I remember that no Democratic president had ever won without Texas. Right. It was kind of a big piece of a winning formula. So Kennedy decided he would come down to Texas and visit the major cities. So on Thursday the 21st, he came down and stopped in San Antonio and went to Houston. And at the end of the day, very, very end of the day, they flew up to Fort Worth and stayed overnight in Fort Worth. In the morning, they had a speech in Fort Uh Worth, and then they even though it's like a 30-minute drive. They went back out to the airport and took Air Force One to fly to Love Field in Dallas so they could have a, a big ceremonial... Reception. Uh, right, a reception at the airport here in Dallas. And then Dallas was the last official stop. After Dallas, they were going to fly to Austin and kind of have a fundraising party at LBJ's ranch. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Bob Walker speaking from Dallas Love Field. This is the control tower at Dallas Love Field where a large crowd is gathered now to await the arrival of President and Mrs. John Fitzgerald Kennedy from Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth. The arrival at Love Field was a pretty joyous occasion. You had an enormous crowd of people, and Kennedy sort of broke with what was expected of him that morning and walked over to the fence line so he could shake hands. The President is up to the fence now, shaking hands with people. The President and his wife are right up on the fence. The press is standing up high, getting a lot of shots of this. He's uh, done as he has done in several places. He's broken away from his uh, planned uh, plan and uh, gone right up to the fence to shake hands with people. This is great for the people and uh, makes the eggshells even thinner for the Secret Service, whose job it is to guard the man. Kennedy had also brought his wife on this trip, and this was unusual for a couple of reasons. Uh, Mrs. Kennedy had given birth to a baby boy in August, and he had only lived a few days. So she had been in mourning for several months. Mrs. Kennedy was also not an enormous fan of political campaigning, but she and her husband were enjoying their trip to Texas, and she was quite pleased to be able to accompany him and enjoy how much the crowds loved her and him. So when they got to Love Field, she comes off this plane on a beautiful, sparkling, sunny day in a bright pink suit, and they hand her some red roses, and then her handsome husband, looking very suntanned and smiley, comes down behind her, and they walk over to the fence and start greeting people, and of course, everyone is just stunned and thrilled. And then they go get in their limousine, and they start the parade, and they had a half-hour parade route, and you can see over there, we've got a... issue of the Dallas Times Herald newspaper that was published the day before and it shows the parade route so any concern that people had that the route was changed at the last minute 
um, or something like that. That's been the subject of many conspiracy theories, but it was public knowledge. They also did that in other newspapers where there were other motorcades for the same trip. So in San Antonio and Houston, the motorcades were also pretty well known. The parade was just about over when Kennedy's motorcade turned onto Elm Street, and then shots were fired. This is Pierce Holland from the Texas School Book Depository Building for WFAA News. Just a few minutes ago, the President of the United States turned from Houston Street onto Elm Street on his way to a scheduled luncheon appearance at the Stemmons Trademark. And as he went by the Texas School Book Depository, headed for the triple underpass, there were three loud reverberating explosions. Nobody moved. Everyone seemed stunned. A few seemed to look around, wondering who has the firecrackers. Then suddenly the Secret Service men sprang into action. The convertible bearing the president and Mrs. Kennedy sped away, and officers, both plainclothes and uniformed, seemed to spring from everywhere at once, guns drawn, ordering people to lie flat. There are two witnesses who were near the president's car at the time of the explosions who say that shots were fired from which upper window we do not know. We do not and cannot confirm the reports at this time that the president has been shot. One witness says he definitely was shot, that he was hit twice, that he saw the president slump in his seat. As I say, this is not confirmed at this time. From where I am, the police have two witnesses They are bringing them in now. I'm in the Texas School Book Depository Building. They're bringing some witnesses in now. We will try to learn further and relay word to the station. On the next episode of the show about politics, we return to the Sixth Floor Museum in Dallas to find out what really happened here in Dealey Plaza after those shots were fired. Trust me. You're not going to want to miss this next episode. A very special thanks to Lindsay Richardson and Lori Ivy at the Sixth Floor Museum in Dealey Plaza. If you're ever in Dallas, make sure to visit the museum while you're there. Music on today's episode was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder and Sounds Like an Earful. And don't forget to subscribe to the show about politics wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like the show, please leave us a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.